Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. I will talk to you of art. For there is nothing else. Some artists make a Yes. Bite upon Hello folks, welcome to the Planet Shivers podcast, this is Albert Shivers, and on this episode we're going to jump right in to my conversation with the special guest on this episode, Bill Midday. I have a lot of exciting news for you about the website and about some new artwork that I have cooking, and a little bit of a new philosophy that I've been growing in terms of me and my art and all that existential BS. It's a little bit long-winded, so I'm going to save it for the next episode. I am going to try for two episodes this week. We'll see if I can pull it off. But in the meantime, let's get to my conversation with the one and only Bill Madang. And at the end of the podcast, we'll be hearing a clip of a piece of Bill Madang's music that we talk about during the show. But the clip of the music will be at the end. So hang on until the end and hear some music. Alright folks, welcome to another episode of the Planet Shivers Podcast. I am and always will be Albert Shivers. <laughs> and today on the episode, I'm excited to have on musician Bill Madang. Thanks Whoa. so much for coming on, being on the yeah. show. <laughs> uh, Albert, I have to I have to add a little caveat there on mm-hmm. your your introduction to me. Um, musicians don't really think of me as a musician. They okay. they think of me as a comic. Okay. okay. And comedians think of me as a farging ice hole. So I'm really nowhere in between. Uh, okay. Okay. So, uh, but I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, just to give you a little background for people who don't know me. Yeah. Uh, when I came out of the service, I, w- I was drafted to the Vietnam era. And I came out in 73, mm-hmm. yeah, late 73. And I was asked by my church to host a coffee house about a year later, not even that. And I hosted, a, uh, I had a separate little room that down in Quakertown, Society of Friends, mm-hmm. which most people call Quakers. Uh, and I hosted there a little building that they gave me to use on Thursday night, I guess it was. I'm not sure of that. But once night a week, and I hosted, tried to get people into play and served coffee and danishes and <laughs> those kind of things and had a conversation with people. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a while, and I decided that I might get better results with an open mic. So, like 1974, I started hosting open mics. And I put on a, a local guy uh, who still remembers it, a guy named Craig Thatcher. I put him on when he was like 14 years old, okay. first time he ever played in front of people. And today, Craig Thatcher fills a lot of rooms in the Lehigh Valley. He's got a big audience uh, with his guitar work and his singing. He's a respected musician in the area. In fact, 
he works for uh, Martin Guitar as okay. a representative of Martin. So he's doing pretty well, and I'm happy and happy for his success. Um, but somebody once figured out, like at one point I've had I had like three open mics a week back in the oh oh years. I call them the oh oh years. Those were the years when. Uh, Baby Bush was president, so they were like, a, there was a lot of uh-ohs, like mm -hmm. we're declaring war, uh-oh, you know, uh, and let's have a war based on three phony reasons that all came out to be phony, but it was never investigated at all. Not one dime was spent compared to the millions that were spent investigating Hillary mm -hmm. and Benghazi. So you know where my politics are, at least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a strong, strongly political per person. I, I've always been interested in history, and I became a history teacher. That's why I'm a bit didactic in my approach here. Uh, uh, but I'm having fun, and that's the main thing about life to me. Uh, you notice you haven't had to say one damn word to me yet, have you? No. No. I have them queued up. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> say something. To jump, to, to jump back into your story a little bit, um, where are you from? I was originally from this area. Okay. I grew up uh, and graduated from Hellertown High School. Okay. Uh, I took a job that took me uh, down to Philly and then eventually up to uh, to New York City area. I lived in Teaneck, New Jersey. Okay. Worked in a town called Garfield, which is down the road from Teaneck. And... Uh, uh, after about 30 years, my company said, Bill, we have a great idea. We just came up with it. We hired this guy half your age for about half your wage, and we're going to save a lot of money. And it, you, you, thank you for starting up the New York City branch of our company, but we really don't need you anymore. So at like 56 years old, I was thrown out on my ass. Mm. And, um, you know... That's the kind of gratitude you get for when you start a whole division of your company. I built it up from one guy doing a one-man stand up to like seven or eight employees right. with building billing about uh, $800,000 a year for my company. And that wasn't enough to keep me employed. Uh, so they hired a kid. And I, I think a lot of that was due to um, uh, problems with my insurance because when you get older in a company your insurance rates go up because you have run a higher and higher risk and so by, I was ruining the, the insurance uh, and they, uh, there were a handful of guys that were older than me but they were all in the main office and I wasn't in the main office so I became an expendable hmm. you see and so that's uh, what rules a lot of small companies today. Uh, but, yeah, troubles with insurance. What right. they used to call the death panels, you know? That when if Obama comes in, we're going to have death panels. The truth is, insurance does not cover a lot of things. So that if you got a problem, and so they're, 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 there are their own death panels. Mm -hmm. You know, insurance companies will tell you, you can't have that operation because... You're not qualified for it yet. Things have to get much worse for you to be qualified. That's the freaking death penalty right there. Mm -hmm. That's a death panel that 
capitalism imposes on us, okay? And, and, but when society does it, it's a huge crime. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when capitalism does it, hey, it's just a matter of facts, you know? The numbers are not there yet, so we're not going to do it. We're not going to give you money. So insurance businesses, a friend of mine used to work for an insurance company, he says, the insurance men have an, a license to steal. And I didn't know what he meant <laughs> until uh, years later when I when insurance became uh, negative in my life. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things. Anyway, Albert, go ahead. Give me your next question. Okay. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you um, were drafted. Yes. Would you mind going into that a little bit? Oh, sure. Uh, I was drafted on my last year of eligibility. I was drafted on my last month of eligibility. Uh, And had I been able to get through December, uh, I would have been ineligible for the draft. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get through. Uh, My number was 137. So it was right. They told you if you were in the first hundred, the odds are that you're going to go. If you were in the last, the uh, above, uh, above two hundred, the odds are minimal. Mm-hmm. But if if you're between a hundred and two hundred, you don't you don't know. So the whole odds thing that they did with the lottery <coughs> uh, didn't help me out because I was in the middle of the lottery. <laughs> so I went, and um, yeah, and they made me a conscientious objector because I refused to hold a gun in Vietnam. So they taught me how to be a medic, and I had a lot of fun jumping around, uh, you know, putting bandages on people and stuff, gotcha. practicing. I saw some of the world's worst uh, training films that I'm trying to find again on YouTube. Okay. Uh, one was called the U.S. Army Medical Corps in Vietnam, and it was narrated by the G- Jack Webb. Remember Jack Webb at all? I he was the guy, he was it. the voice of... Uh, uh, the cop, the cop show that they had, Dragnet. Yeah. Yeah, it was a beautiful show. It, 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 the movie started out uh, of a B fifty two flying over the jungles and dropping bombs, and there's this real cool jazz. The U.S. Army Medical Corps in Vietnam. <laughs> and then and these bombs are going and they're making like really colorful explosions in the jungle and spreading out like bullseyes across through the jungle and you're seeing you see greenery being ripped to shreds in front of you mm-hmm. from 2,000 feet in the air you know uh, and um, it was a real cool thing and then, then you got to see people who were uh, wounded uh oh there's a, a phone call is that me? It's right behind you, I think. Oh. My lady, leap, my lady. The hot, no leap, my lady. My lady, frozen fruit products for you. Cheese blintzes, apple, cherry, blueberry, and strawberry. Dumplings and potato latkes, too. Where were we? We were just wrapping up talking about Vietnam and the, the training film. The training film, yeah. yeah. I saw horrific things and I sat there um, it, I was in a class of about 45 people guys okay. taken and we took we they took us to, to see a movie uh, after we had all of our training this is the last couple of days of training they took us to, sat us down in a classroom and the instructor says 
All right. He says, this is a movie to get to to be being used to so you don't panic when you see somebody actually shot in front of your face. Okay. He says, now, here's the problem. A lot of you guys are going to vomit because it's so violent. If you have to vomit, you do not vomit on my floor. <laughs> you got to understand that's the mentality of a drill instructor. Yeah. He says, you leave the room, go through that door and vomit in the, in the grass outside. Don't come near, don't come back in here. You stay out there. So about 45 started the movie. I was one of three that actually got to see the whole movie and refused to vomit. But everybody else was outside. And there was Holly's horror shows of like actual battlefield cameras walking behind soldiers, like walking through rice paddies. And a, and you see the bomb goes off some soldier steps on a on a, a, a field bomb, you know, a, a, like a, a landmine, they call it. Yeah. Anyway, and the camera goes up into the sky really quick and then comes back down, and a soldier that was right in front of the cameraman is laying down in the, in the rice paddy, and a medic comes over to him and picks up his leg, and there's a boot on the end, and there's a... There's a... Um, uh, a knee, he, and, and right where his calf muscle used to be is nothing. There's just a tibia and a fibia exposed to the air, and he's lifted it up, and his, his leg has been blown off. Right. And um, so it was like, oh, Christ, that sent some guys out. And then there were more, there were shots of guys, all of these were guys who were 18 and 19 years old. You know, the average person that was lost their life was 19 mm. in Vietnam. Okay. okay. Think of that. That means it was mostly 18 and 19-year-old kids going over there to get their, sh get their brains blown out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they never got a chance. They never really got started. You know, you raise a kid. You, you, you government... You're trying to do what's right for the government, for society, because the society, government is supposed to be society. Not a few rich people at the top of society, but all of society is government. That's what government is supposed to be in theory. But we're finding out that that's not true. And we're finding out that Korea and Vietnam and Iraq, all these wars were fought hopefully to hold down the bad guys, but... They were all incursions into other people's land. And when you incur, when you invade somebody else's land, they don't want, they don't care how, what your motives are. They know that you're a foreign enemy on the land that they grew up in. Right. And if you can't get them to see that you're trying to help them, then you failed. You have failed. Mm -hmm. Not the people that were invading us, America has failed consistently in the last 50, 60 years of invading foreign lands. So, you know, but somebody's making money out of it. The, the military budget is in the trillions every year, yeah. you know. And, but if you question that, you're not patriotic. You're just not patriotic. You need to leave this country. Hmm. And that, to me, is a huge hoax. So you said it quick before, and I didn't catch what exactly what it was called. 
but your decision to be a medic rather than hold a gun. Right. That's that... called conscientious objector. Okay. And that's so still an active. It's still active in our in our service. But today, our service is entirely voluntary, so there's very few conscientious objectors. Yeah. So people that go into the medic training business, uh, the fields that learn that are doing it consciously. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're doing it for a future in medicine. That, okay. that's, you can learn a lot. The, med, the, med, the Army is a great teacher. They have great books. They have great... Uh, they're really concerned. They're really a social organization. In fact, they're the most socialized organization in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and and it's the funniest thing. All these people that wave the flag so hard and heavy are and furiously waving the flag. You know, are love the military, the American military. The American military uh, keeps you is socialized from cradle to grave. You. You're fed, you're housed, you know, everything you do, you don't pay for. Whatever you want, you can pay out of casual money, but your food and your, your everything you do, uh, once you're an officer, even your automobiles are given to you. You know, you're an executive now. And um, so that, that whole business is the most socialized way of life. And yet, you know... That's the that's the people we admire when it, when the war comes because these people are sacrificing themselves for us, and and but it's the curious thing about how we love the military, you know. But that's pure socialism. Mm-hmm. You wear your rank on your sleeve. You got your name on your shirt. You know, everybody walks around with dog tags and names and. And ranks, you know exactly. You look at a guy, you know exactly how much money he's making every year. You know, you know that's the ultimate form of socialism, pal. I'm sorry, you know, and it just boggles me. Another, another one of the many inequities of our life. Right. I was dragged because the Vietnam War needed people to put up in the front lines, so right. they started the draft because. Uh, well, the draft was continuing. The draft started actually in World War II, and and they needed people to fight, you know, the the Nazis and and um, uh, the Axis powers, and and it kept, it just they it never stopped. Right after World War II ended, Korea started up, and then Vietnam. So yeah. there was a constant need for soldiers, right. and the draft kept continuing. But did you choose the medic route? Was the medic route was handed to me when I declared myself a conscientious objector, a CO. Okay. They said, okay, you have to become a medic. You have no option. Okay. The medic is the only guy that doesn't carry a gun. He's supposed to be protected by the other men in his unit. So, and he's, his job is to go out there and, and haul the wounded back mm-hmm. to the back li- uh, the line again. And uh, the problem in Vietnam was there was no back line. There was hard, hard fighting every day, and you um, you walk through the jungle trying to establish something called an L zone or a kill zone, uh, and you surround. Um, you get off a helicopter and and go out into the jungles, establish a kill zone, and wait for a crew of um, uh, Viet Cong to walk into it. 
and then you open fire on them and kill them. Uh, and then when you got done with that, you, go, you walk back to where the landing zone was for the helicopter, and while you were walking out to establish your kill zone, you were uh, eligible to walk into one of their kill zones, and they did the same things to us. And, and what would really pissed off a lot of soldiers is you'd fight like the dickens all day uh, and kill a lot of people and watch your buddies get killed in front of you. And then you would walk, get back on the helicopter and leave the land you just fought for <laughs> and leave it. And, and, and so like you got, eventually every soldier realized I'm fighting for nothing. I'm fighting what they called at the time was a war of attrition. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about this. I, I want to talk... We can move. Yeah, we can I move. want to talk about creativity and art and what I'm trying to do now. I'm trying to take, uh, basically, the what society has given me, which has given me a pretty good life. As mm-hmm. much as people... I, you sound, I sound like a, someone that hates America. I love America. And America has given me a great life, and and uh, I have a family. I have two kids, adult kids, and uh, I want to give something back now that I'm retired. Right. I played the game. I put aside money from my daily things, and I'm living off the money I saved, mm-hmm. okay? And I, I'm not wealthy, but I have enough. I have enough to put three meals on and a... Three hots and a cot, they call it, you mm-hmm. know? I know where my next meal's coming from, and I have a pretty good collection of musical gear that I like to play with, and um, I've been lucky, uh, you know? I've been luckier than most people on this earth, and I'd like to sub- pass something along to the next generation. I like to talk to kids and uh, maybe give them some ideas as to why they don't want to fuck with drugs. You know, I saw a lot of people my age that I thought were absolutely brilliant, Albert, brilliant musicians Mm -hmm. that got sucked into taking drugs. Okay, a la Keith Richards and a whole bunch of other people who were assigned to come up with the next big hit album or the big hit 45 or whatever you want to call it, single. They, they they were told you have to come up with something. What you did last year doesn't matter anymore. You got to do something this year, pal. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so they constantly kept up coming up with new songs. And they, a lot of them resorted to heroin, put their life on the line to come up with new material. Right. My goal is, this is important to me. My goal is to provide other ways to create create. Stimulate creativity, and I think the true creativity comes from being in the presence of other creative people. I think there's a contagion to creativity, okay. just like when you go to church or when you go to see a movie. There's a contagion effect that takes place in the audience. The whole audience gets swept up in the same thing, and when you feel other people starting to cry for a sad scene, you start crying too. That's contagion. When you feel um, joy, that's contagion, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, everybody starts jumping and clapping their hands. That's contagion. 
you know, and and that's that's a very powerful technique for our human behavior. We are we are basically herd animals. There's a few of us that are raptors. Uh, we don't like to call them that, but that's what they are. They're the raptors, uh-huh. and and the herd protects the weak. They put the weak in the middle mm-hmm. of the herd, and and the strong are walking around the outside. And when a raptor comes in to the herd, thinking, mm, lunch, let's eat, uh-huh. he comes in as fast and as hot as he can, and he's going to grab something that looks lame on the inside of the herd. So he starts flying or walking in or running in or whatever they do to motivate and and looking at something old or something very young that can't walk anymore or never did walk or whatever, something lame that he can easily outrun. And all of a sudden, something walks in front of him that's even lamer than the target he's looking at. Some Something, one of the herd is even lamer. It's like, oh my God, look at that one, can't eat. And he's got a lot of meat on his bones. I'm going to go after him. So the raptor shifts gears and starts chasing the lame one right. that's just appeared in front of him. And suddenly the lame one shifts gears and is whew, off like Speedy Gonzalez. Right. And, and the raptor realizes, Fuck, I've just been tricked, you know? And that that lame one was never really lame, just feigning it because he was that the job of that person or that being was to get me off the track of the, my original target. Okay. And that's how the the herd protects the weak ones in the center. Hmm. And and that's what people need to do. We need to protect the very young and the very old. And the sick ones, and the ones that have trouble walking, or trouble talking, or whatever they have trouble. We need, the, the, the well ones need to protect the, the sick ones, because eventually, all of us get old. Eventually, yeah. and, and, the, and you were protected when you were young. So right. you need to pass that along, pass that sense of righteousness along. Because you wouldn't have been born had had you been or now that, that's true you would have been born but you would have been killed as a baby had had the herd not protected you so you need to inter- interact with that herd you have to out of justice mm. the water is especially good how you're enjoying your water today good often have Bethlehem water well this is, is not it? actually Bethlehem water okay. I used to work in the water filtration business so I, okay. I know how to filter water. And uh, and that this is filtered water. Even the ice cubes are filtered, so I'm very happy with it. Even better. The secret of filtration uh-huh. is to just change the filter out. What happens with all filters is they become saturated, yeah. and when a filter becomes saturated, you got a real serious problem because now it starts letting it starts shedding its dirt, and it sheds the dirt faster than the water coming in. So the filter acts as uh, a dirt maker instead of a dirt taker, mm-hmm. okay? And, and it's, it's making the water worse once it saturates it, and the water coming out is worse. So you have to put a date on each filter and make sure you change it and set up a program to change it on time. Because uh, once the filter becomes saturated, especially with bacteria, it can yeah. really shed a lot of nasty things that right. make you sick. 
So that's important. Yeah. That's one. That's the only thing I learned <laughs> from all my years of filtration. And now I just told it to you in 20 seconds. Yeah. How about that? A whole lifetime of, sell, of selling whole, water filters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Secrets oh. out. With all the art forms that there are out there, what attracted you to music? What what, oh, what God. led you down the road of music? Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you, that's an easy story for me because I remember okay. it vividly. I was in a car with my mother, and she was driving. I couldn't drive yet. I was a teenager. And the local radio station played a song by the Rolling Stones called It's All Over Now. And by about halfway through the song, I was really dancing. I really got my youthful testosterone going. Mm -hmm. I felt it flowing. I felt, wow, this guitar is like a rip-roaring, powerful guitar. And it had, it had just the right reverb and just crunchy reverb. That and and I wow, that's a powerful sound. That sounds like sex must feel. <laughs> I had that realization, and I uh, and the disc jockey that was playing it that day got to the end of the song. My mother was parking the car at that point and got to the end of the song and said, Man, that song sounded so good, I'm gonna play it again. Now, disc jockeys are never supposed to play the same song twice, but he did it because he loved it. He got into the mood, and I was cheering him on, yeah, play it again! And he played it again, and my mother didn't want to sit in the car the whole time. So I said, okay, Mom, go into the store, I'll find you in the store, I'll turn the car off and come in and find you. When, when you know... So she did that, and I listened to the whole song, and I was dancing on my ass the whole time, dancing. I was 14 or 15, and everything was rippling through my veins, new hormones. It was all so good. And I said, I want to do this forever. And so I learned <coughs> to play rock and roll as a substitute for the sex act, for the act of procreation what we lovingly endurely call fucking, okay? I wanted to do that forever. And and sometimes when I'm on stage and playing, I get that contagion going with the crowd, and it it's almost, well, it is. It's at, at, as good as sex, maybe even better, because there's no wet spot afterward, you know? Nothing to clean up. It's all good. And and so, I I really enjoy playing for people, and I enjoy the act of creativity, and I wanted to see if I could find ways to make people creative without risking their life on heroin, mm -hmm. and and so I do this, and I put people on stage, and I from one point I I was putting people on stage three times a week at various clubs. I've done clubs all over the Lehigh Valley. And uh, some person somewhere sat down and estimated that I put over 60,000 people on stage so far in my life. And uh, not different people. They're, you know, but I've introduced people mm -hmm. uh, 60,000 times based on a rough average of like uh, at least 20 people a night, you know. Um, every night, three times a week, a long time. <laughs> so, um, 
That's good. I, I'm having a lot of fun with my life, and people think of me as a hero in sorts, and I'm not a hero. All I do is dial in some knobs, okay? Mm-hmm. And and try to make people as sound as best as my PA system will allow me to do it. Right. And 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 they like that. <laughs> people like that. And they, and they, and I make some hard decisions sometimes, and and usually most people will go with the decision to extend a performer uh, because the performer is doing so well. Sometimes they get mad and storm out. Uh, that happens, I think, in every like. How come you put them up for twenty minutes and I only got ten for me? And uh, you know that's hard to explain, but but I try to reward people who get the audience involved, and I and I try to tell people that listen, if if you're crucifying my audience, I have to protect them too, and okay. and uh, you know you're welcome to come up and try yourself out. But the reality is, um, do your do your best, and I'll probably extend you. But if you if I feel you're not really involved with it, then maybe you don't need to be here. If you think if you're just here to fuck with people, uh, maybe you don't need to be involved. Yeah. And I make that decision, and and nobody else. So I take credit or blame, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if I think that you're got some kind of psychosis inside you <laughs> and you're here to drive my audience away I'm going to protect my audience Jack you know um, and uh, I do that and people respect me for that I think there are times when I've asked people to get off the stage and shut off the power to them and, uh, but right now here's something that I want you to consider this is okay. the crux of this whole thing that I'm doing, and it's the most important thing to me. And I want to bring up the topic of music as a conversation. Okay. All right. Now, when you hear music, everybody says great music is a conversation. Okay? It's not a recitation. It's a conversation. Um, when you and I are talking right now, I'm responding to your questions, mm-hmm. and you're responding to things I'm saying to answer more questions. And that's what a conversation is. It's like give and take. Um, I want music to do that. I want music to, to, the most successful music, the most rewarding music, is not a recitation. It's not me going up and saying, look how good I can recite the Gettysburg Address, or look how good I can sound like Jimi Hendrix. Here's I'm playing the same licks that were played 58 years ago, note for note, and damn, you gotta love me for that, you know, and that's not really a reason to love somebody. That's not art. That's a recitation. That's a, you know, John Gilgood going up and and delivering a Hamlet soliloquy, you know, in a way it's art. It's, but in other ways. It is something you've heard before, and you can judge against other people who have done it. I prefer the honesty, the alive creation of, of, crea- of back-and-forth dialogue. So what I've done is I've developed this technique of music, and I, I'd like to play one for you uh, through the courtesy of the Internet, uh, called... 
Audio Radiance for the Radio Audience. It was a work that I did with uh, Frank Zelazny on electronic drums and me on various synthesizers. Mm. And it was done in a live format of he and I literally talking on our instruments to each other. Okay. And ba- there's a back and forth there if you listen clear- carefully. And there's also uh, us playing with the formats of the instruments uh, where we don't stay too long. Uh, the only rule I have is to not play the same thing twice. Any phrase I play, I've got to keep changing it. It'll be the same as me saying the same sentence to you twice. Mm-hmm. That's not a conversation. That's not legitimate. Right. So I try to play something based on what I said previously. And sometimes, and, and then I try to answer questions from Frank on the drums, and, and he answers my rhythms with his rhythms. Mm-hmm. And we get into conversations. So we developed this song. It's about 18 minutes long. And it's a piece, a conversational piece. And I call it Audio Radiance for the radio audience, meaning the listener. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, But I have other pieces like that. where, But I, there are pieces that are pretty good and some of them that are pretty droll <laughs> and unimaginative. Uh, but it depends on my mood at the moment, and it depends on Frank, and and how how good he's drumming that day, mm-hmm. and and how good I'm playing that day. There are times when we droll on to uh, tired conversation, you know, like what do you think the Braves' chances of winning the series this year? Those kind of questions, you know, uh-huh. that's really not a great conversation, you know, talking about quantum physics and how it's going to change our world or digital technologies. Uh, that's, that's postulations. That's, you know, good stuff. That's what do you talk about? How, what motivates us, you know, besides sex, Freud, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> those things. You know, intelligent conversation is what I'm trying for. And, and uh, something that sparks imagination, makes you laugh or makes you cry or whatever I, I like to do the gamut you know I like to challenge people and uh, and myself included as a per- people I feel I'm a people and <laughs> and I'm having fun it sounds to me that you you're attracted to a more free flow form of creativity right I'm looking at an investigation on how my brain works I don't know how your brain works mm-hmm. but I know mine because that's the right. only brain I got yeah Right. So I'm trying to encourage other people to expose their brains. And you could do that musically. Mm-hmm. I have a saying that says, music is how we will talk in heaven. It, and and it's if you, if you watch movies like uh, uh, Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, the, they talk through music with the spaceship, remember? Mm-hmm. The little pattern that they were doing together. And... and um, that's, you know, music is a language. If it's a language, then let's go. Let's go with it. Let's use it as a language. It's pure thought in some ways, you know? And you, it, it can be translated into any 
any place around the world, any 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 person listening to it can understand what I'm trying to say in some ways, and they don't have to know English to do it. One of the ways one of the ways I judge silent films is how few cards they have to put up. You know where they explain the dialogue? Yeah. The cards uh, that tell you what they're saying. Mm-hmm. A really good silent film will have a minimal amount of cards to explain the dialogue. Right. You will see the action and the motion and the, and the emotions on the faces of the characters. They don't need cards that much, you know? Because mm-hmm. they're using the art of the film to express all that. You know, the art of motion, seeing a face, you know? And what we glean from a face is amazing, right. you know? Yeah. So, um, it, I don't know, uh, you know, I love film too, by the way. Uh, one of my favorites is Eight and a Half by Fellini, okay. which is also addresses the act of creation. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, how Fellini basically did it as an autobiography of what it's like to keep coming up with new material that hasn't been seen before, and right. the pressures that he's feeling, uh, and uh, all of the uh, things that are going on around him, and he he's got to focus on his film, and and yet there's all these pretty girls smiling at him, and <laughs> guys offering him drinks, and and uh, and he's got to come up with a scene that people are going to remember, you know, visual, uh, and. He's got all these temptations to not do it, <laughs> and and um, so it's th- that. I think that is the act of creation. Is like how do we deal with distractions? How do we focus so that we come up with a, something distinctive that's never mm-hmm. been done? You know, all of yeah. that. That's been all the way through. Yeah, all the way through civilization, all the way through my life, all the way through your life. We are always our own worst enemy. And what you see is self-editing, the, yeah. uh, the object of editing. Like when I write, I generally throw away the first two paragraphs and, <laughs> and, 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 and then go from there because I'm just warming up, you know? And it's the same like when you see musicians playing, they'll play... For 20 minutes backstage and then come out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because you're just warming up. And, and that's the problem with open mics is because you got three songs, 15 minutes. That's not even a decent warm up. Hell, that's not even enough time to tune your instrument. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You got to play with your instrument and get it going. And then you've got to get this tempered effect going where the instrument has to be in tune to itself. Okay. Like a tempered piano. It's got to be, it's not enough to be just be 440 technically. It's, it's got to be feeling right in your hands, okay? It, it, and uh, so that each chord will ring, you know, or each, the note in your horn will ring with the band, okay? okay. Uh, it, it's, it, there's, the band has got to get into this thing and, and be a great, a great ear. You have to hear the ring. Look, a chord, a, a real chord in tune, will ring. It will resonate un, unto itself. And and 
when the whole band is in tune with each other, the, that effect is multiplied yet again. And, and so that's, <laughs> that's the key to me is, is, you know, how do you, you got to take time for the band to kind of coalesce or, or whoever's in the ensemble, whatever you want to call it. Um, so it, it's, it's an effort. It's an effort, uh, and and we we don't give ourselves enough time. You know, we don't. That's the problem I think that's with time. It's becoming the problem, more and more yeah. Powerful. It'd be nice if we could <laughs> have an open mic where people were allowed to warm up backstage <laughs> and then mm-hmm. come out. Maybe we could do something like that—a uh, warm open mic. I don't know what to call it, but. Uh, yeah. So uh, you mentioned before that one we could say it's a goal of yours is to give people gateways to some creativity without drugs, without any of that. Yeah, drugs. So, drugs kill people. Yeah. And, so if you wouldn't you, mind yeah, going into your philosophy and everything on that, be interested. Well, I knew a lot of people back my age when I was twenty. Mm-hmm. that I thought, holy cow, there's no way this guy can't make it into the pro music world. He's so pro. His ear is so perfect. His his prose is so great. His, you know, he's as good as, and this is as good as anything Bob Dylan has done, good as anything Jimi Hendrix or Eric Clapton has ever done. This guy is a monster. And two, week, two weeks later, two years later, he's dead. Yeah. And and I, I know, I see faces in front of me right now that I remember, guys that will forever be 23 years old in my mind. Yeah. And they should be as old as me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's painful. It's fucking painful. So do you feel with, um, with your open mic and the things that you've done, um, that you, you've been able to... Open mics are all we got left. Uh, there's nowhere else for a musician or a person who wants to be a musician to do it. You can't. You can't. You got to be in front of an audience. You have to know the audience experience and how the audience works. And the audience in an open mic is other musicians. So yeah. you, you, you. Every musician wants to be positive. As positive as you could be, you forgive other people immediately for being missing a cue or for for being off tune a little bit or mm-hmm. for forgetting a word or you know uh, that's not the problem because we all have experienced that on stage. Everyone, everyone. So you know you. In fact, you identify with it. Yeah. And there are some acts out there. That I saw, I remember seeing acts as a child, people on uh, walking high wires in a circus, okay. and they come out, and the one of the first things they do is they slip and almost fall off the wire, and then the rest of the show they go through, and it's perfect, mm-hmm. it's perfect, and I realized, holy cow, what that slippage did was re- was remind you that what they're doing is dangerous. And everybody in the audience goes, oh, 
you know, and it's like, oh shit, they're gonna fall. We're gonna, I'm gonna watch this poor son of a bitch die. And he grabs onto the to the wire at the last minute with his left hand, and he pulls himself back, and 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 he gets back up again, and the applause is tumultuous. And and then you go through the, and by the end of the show, you're really enthralled that this guy managed to live through his whole act. <laughs> but then you then as you get older, you realize that. The little slip there that was planned, that was right. choreographed, okay, and and so it what it's done is it gives you the the whole idea of danger uh, mm-hmm. that you're seeing. One of the things I remember seeing was rock musicians coming out on stage to play and opening up a bottle of Jim Beam and taking a big long hit, and by the end of the show. And two hours later, not even that, an hour and a half, maybe an hour and a quarter later, they emptied that bottle of Jim Bean into their throat. Mm -hmm. They were drinking it all the way through after every song they took a swig. And I'm going, how come that son of a bitch is not dead? You know? Uh And it dawned on me, maybe that Jim Beam is really iced tea. You know? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's just a reminder of you to, to show you that it's just iced, that it, I'm, I'm putting my life on the line for you here. Uh-huh. You know, just like falling off the high wire. Um, it, it's like, hey, look at how high I have to get to play for you. Right. And, and that's not necessarily true. You don't know how high he is, you know. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, the reality is if he drank a, a quarter Jim Beam in that time, uh, he'd probably be passed out or vomiting. No human being could do that that quickly. That's just way too quick to live through night after night, you know? Uh, And uh, the fact that, you know, it's it's happening again and again tells me it was a stage act. It was part of the act, Mm -hmm. okay? And, uh, you know, Specifically, I'm talking, of course, about Keith Richards. So. Okay. <laughs> but he was famous, but there were so many others that, you know, that faked it, too, you know. And there were others that really did it. You know, Jimi Hendrix, I'm sure, really did a lot of psychoactive drugs of all kinds. Mm-hmm. And he, people around him thought, hey, he's, he's immaculate, you know. I, I think Jimi had a whole lot going on that was wrong for him. And um, he's not, he was not immaculate. He was just a human being that bought his own publicity. And okay. uh, he should be here with us today, but he isn't. But, yeah, uh, I, I value lucidity. I value rational thought. Mm-hmm. And, and I tell people, Jesus, you know, I've seen, I seen guys like I, the guys that I weep for today that used to take dope all the time. Like the first thing they thought of in the morning was, how could I score today? Yeah. And when you find yourself thinking that, you really need help. You know, um, if, if, yeah, you, you, the problem is you got to spend 90% of your time lucid. And so that when you do enjoy yourself with a, some alcohol or some, marijuana or whatever 
your 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 poison is mm-hmm. uh, that you know it it's valuable to you it has meaning it's not the norm anymore and you can enjoy it as a holiday okay mm-hmm. something out of the norm that's allowing you to free flow of ideas you know the story goes you know you create you create stone and and, and then edit straight <laughs> so uh, that'll tell you what what really works and what doesn't you mm-hmm. got to edit like a great editor in a, in a, in a any journalist will know will tell you you got to edit yeah so not everything you come out is with is golden <laughs> you waste a lot of time you know i try to be concise and get it done with say if i have to say something uh, i don't want to say it twice yeah and that's another reason why I choose the pattern that I do with not repeating myself on the, on the music. Right. That's part of the format. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like being that your music is so free flow that it can almost be cumulative? Yeah. And that absolutely. One piece is the result of all the pieces that There's, came before. There, yeah. There, there. You can easily blend it into one long. Technically, I could go forever. What I'm doing is I'm using the the computer and the new technology to orchestrate. I'm I'm orchestrating in a live format. It's like if if Beethoven or Bach or Brahms was alive today with the current technology, they would get done a lot quicker. Yeah. <laughs> and and. You know, I'm I'm just trying to just look at pure human thought, and and look at suggestions from Frankie and from myself, you know, and that's how we talk. Hmm. We play with ideas and elaborate on those ideas, and that's it's the same process as getting words out from inside of you. You know, it's it's how ideas are formed. And I'm using the computer to give a, a, a form that I transfer that form into something that I can communicate to somebody else. So I'm not the world's best musician. I don't know a lot of music. I know what I like, hmm. but technically, uh, I'm not a good musician. I wasn't lying when I told you. Musicians consider me a comic, uh, and comics think I'm <laughs> a farging ice hole. Yeah, I, I, that's I've said that before, and I'll have to say it again. <laughs> so, what music influences you? I like the well, I everything that came up when my testosterone was being formed when I was fourteen and fifteen and sixteen. That's those are the strongest years. And what I was listening to uh, stays with me forever, you know? And I'm sure I'd be playing accordion today if I was in Poland in, in 1842, right. you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, it, music is just a, a culmination of ideas, if you will, of everything we've ever heard. Mm-hmm. It's a synthesis of what... And, and uh, so you'll hear it. You know, in what we just played, technically, yeah. right? Uh, and and it's all ideas coming to my head, 
and um, and the computer allows us to change formats. You know, used to be you had uh, Jimi Hendrix was orchestrating. You know, uh, he had a bunch of buttons on the floor, and he had an amp that could he could stretch. It was very elastic. Those and 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 he knew how to get crazy wacky sounds out of his guitar and out of those floor buttons and out of that amp and those three things he used to orchestrate music and he he could play stuff that Bach and Brahms were trying to orchestrate using string sections he could do that you know and and uh, and today I have a computer that gives a whole, a whole string section and, and com the newer computers are giving backgrounds now. Yeah. They're doing little tinkly noises that, are, that I'm not playing. And, and, and they're doing arpeggios that I'm not playing. I'm holding down a chord and the computer's going and I'm not doing that. The computer's doing that. I'm just telling it what notes are in that stretch of chord. And, and it's automatically t setting in the timing structure that it has created. And I'm playing with the timing structure. I can, I, can, I can speed up that timing structure. I can change that chord. And I can slow down the timing structure and do all those things. And you'll hear it. You know, you, that's what you just heard, technically. Right. Me just orchestrating, playing with knobs on a computer. <laughs> and... and and, and uh, you know, I would be a crazy musician if I could do that live from the actual string section. Uh, you know, I'm not a, 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 a string quartet, but I can, I can sound like one. You know, um, Chuck Berry could play a, a, a horn section on his guitar. That's a horn section. Yeah. And he's doing it on guitar. <laughs> and, and and you know he, he saved a lot of money on musicians, <laughs> he, right. but that's what rock and roll was, yeah. you know. And he, you know, he was just before him was jump blues, which yeah. was a horn section. Yeah. So yeah, yeah you're right. That's yeah. Uh, that's, I like uh, that. Electric guitars as loud as a freaking horn section. Yeah. 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 So that's where it comes from. You're playing with standard formats, but you're using newer technologies to expand what one man can do, you know? One man can kill a whole audience, you know? Climb up into a, a, a hotel room, knock out a couple of windows, and get use automatic fire and spray it into a whole country western audience. And, you know, and and... So it's the power of one person. If he really wants to fuck with you, he, you know. So technology is expanding the powers of the individual, you know. Uh, one guy blew up a, a, a building in Oklahoma City and killed a bunch of people because of his madness, you know. Right. And, and he was out to stop society. He hated society. Probably because he saw himself as a failure. And society needs to figure out how are we going to keep, now that one guy can do this to us, how do we keep that guy from doing it to us? And maybe we need to stop making, making people think like they're failures. 
and 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 maybe that'll do it. Maybe we need to embrace everyone mm-hmm. and keep keep that power from being used against us. You know, we've got to accept everybody from some way or another and protect each other, just like the herd protects against the raptor. Right. So we're back to where we started. Yeah. <laughs> we do callbacks on this show. It's not a problem. It. Rem- some of what we're talking about, remind, I don't know how much it, it fits in, but it reminds me of this story. I don't know if you listen to Zappa much, mm-hmm. but um, there's a story where there was a riot at one of his concerts. This is the original Mother's, probably 1967 or 8. A riot breaks out at his show, and he turns to his band and, and directs them to play the ugliest notes they could play. <laughs> The Beatles did that too, you know. They played the distinct chords. They just, they just fucked with each other. Like I'll yeah. play this, I'll play this mishmash on my fingers, and you play something else, and and then we'll use this to start the song, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and they did that. Somebody took a long time to figure out what the Beatles played the opening chord to uh, to Hard Day's Night. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And and you can find whole stories on YouTube on what they think the opening chord was. <laughs> and and it was just guys, at the time, they were just slamming their fingers against their instruments and, and saying, what does this sound like against that? And, and, and people do that with timings, and they do that with, you know, it's just, what happened to your brain when, when it's exposed to this texture, you yeah. know? There's also, when you experiment, you take risks. And right. and people, you know, that all that whole '60s mentality of whatever you can do, do it for the sake of doing it. That also led to the rise of Charlie Manson, you know, okay. and um, other things that went on that should not have existed. Uh, people that get soaked into their own delusional world. You got to be aware of that. That's why I keep telling people, don't take drugs constantly. Drugs need to be a vacation for your mind. They don't. If you're never on vacation, you know, you could you could like uh, your favorite food. Let's say is uh, cream puffs. Okay. A delicious dessert indeed. Right. But if you somebody fed you cream puffs three times a day, every day, and that's all you ate, you'd look at that plate and say, "Not another fucking cream puff." Yeah. Eventually, you'd get to that point. I can't eat another one. Uh-huh. And so, you know, you got to keep a good diet. You got to keep a good brain. You got, <laughs> you got to. Your brain has to function. You, you, you know, when something bad happens, and and you find yourself in a car barrel rolling down Route Twenty Two, at eighty eight miles an hour. You know, you got to say. What am I going to do now? <laughs> you know, you got to fight for yourself. And, and uh, you know, it's... The, the reality is re- very real. It's, you know, you, you don't... You got to be in a protected scenario if, if you want to play with creative drugs and you got to keep them as... a as a creation and not as a, a casual thing. 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's how I look at it. You know, if uh, the worst thing, the worst thing in the world is to masturbate on drugs because you'll never want to unmasturbate. <laughs> Masturbation to me is it twists your mind and I'm seeing a lot of people lose their sexuality because they're too damn busy masturbating. Okay. And and uh now for, for the sake of the recording you you're speaking literally. Literally. Not, okay. I'm talking I'm about you. The dangers of fucking yourself up with uh, an overdose of sexuality. Okay. And I, I'm seeing it, of course, in myself. I've got to be honest. You know, I'm not, uh, but I'm seeing it with a lot of people that no longer want to get together with other people because it's easier to just freaking masturbate. And there's a lot of people that are saying, you know, they're, they're not they're walking away from relationships with um, people that love them because it's easier just to masturbate. And, and that's not right. You got to focus on working together with your wife or your husband or whatever. And you got to focus on, you know, not just pleasing yourself sexually. You've got to you got to understand all of humanity. you got to understand, and that c- should come from your significant other or how many others you choose to have. But, you know, like I said, if you find yourself getting up in the morning and the first thing you say to yourself is, how do I score today? If you find yourself getting up in the morning and saying, well, oh, what porno site should I go to today? That, that's not good. You know, uh, a little bit is good. A whole lot more is not necessarily a whole lot better. A little bit of water will keep you alive. A whole lot of water will fucking drown you, Jack. Right. So would you, would you put, not to interrupt you, would you put, um, porn and masturbation in a similar category? As that you drugs. You talk about drugs? Yeah, okay. yeah, it is a drug. Masturbation is a drug. And you don't want to get used to it because you want to devote that energy to your lover, mm-hmm. not to your hand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's important that we get along with each other. It's important because we're not going to stay civilized. Streaming porn is a whole other level. And I'm glad I wasn't. 18 when streaming porn came out uh, I, I didn't have that right you know and uh, streaming porn you 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 can you go to the next porn site oh if you like this will you like that you know and it'll get you further and further into the abyss you know and you know pretty soon you're you're masturbating to girls licking uh peanut butter off the inside of their armpit and you don't know why. <laughs> right, you know? yeah. And, and <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm trying to be funny, but I'm, uh, in no, a way, I, I I'm do, serious. I, I understand what yeah. you're Yeah. The masturbation turns into like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> right. Because it's an endless road and 
it's it's not good. It makes you antisocial. Yeah. So. And it's something that society needs to address. Uh, too much porn is not good, and we need to come up with a set with a, a technology which says, "Hey, Jack." <laughs> that's a good word for them too yeah. uh, <laughs> you've you got to stop this this is like your fourth hour straight here you've been on this on this site you know you got, when are you going to eat when are you going to sleep you know but you know there is no there's no um, how can I say this there's no advertisements on the porn site so what what they're mining is they're mining your mind mm-hmm. they're, what they're harvesting is your uh, predilections. They know. They know exactly uh, what got you off because it's the last thing you saw that got you off. Right. (laughs) So they know what what triggers you Uh at your orgasm. And uh, and they know how often you go after it and how long you, how how much energy you spend. And, and, And they know your name because they know your website or your, your, your computer site. Yeah. So they know your name. They can match match that up, and and they know what gets most Americans off. What gets most Pennsylvanians off? You know. <laughs> well, it's a social. It's a grand social experiment. You know. Yeah. And it's it's a craziness that that uh, we're we're delving into insanity now. You know, uh, you look at. The history of the Roman Empire and the history of the Greeks, and and how they uh, went nuts, literally. Yeah. You know? And and but you're but you're really involved with history. You know that uh, once civilization started, people got crazier and crazier. You know what surprises me is is when I was growing up. Um, I used to think that the world was wonderful and only. Only uh, uh, people that were back in the fifties. Only people that were totally uh, uh, ill-equipped for society got divorced, and then all of a sudden, half the people I knew got divorced. Mm-hmm. And well, why did that happen? And because uh, it was because people, women, no longer were told you don't have to tolerate your husband coming home drunk and beating the piss out of you. Right. You know, and it used to be that if a marriage failed, it was the woman's fault, and that changed right. in the fifties and sixties, and um, uh, so there were a lot of things that were moving around, and uh, today, you know, we have this huge rise in like sexual identity, gender identity, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, and uh, it's. I think it's it's the product of streaming porn, and I don't see anybody uh, offering me a, an alternative to that. Right. You know, human sexuality has been with us forever, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, technologies are allowing us to sidestep it in other ways. Yeah. And uh, you know, back when I was a kid, if you wanted to date a girl, uh, you know. You had to go through the steps, yeah. and and you you would when I was a teenager, you had to date a girl for like six months before you could cop a feel of her breast. That was a big event. <laughs> now you know you're seeing you're seeing people 
fucking and and there's probably ten year old kids seeing that, you know, because you can't stop a ten year old once they learn how to use the net. Right, and that's and very true. You're seeing all kinds of lusts and perversions, and and they're growing up with it, you know, and one of the things that amazes me was, you know, there's this thing in the in. Ecclesiastes saying nothing new is under the sun. And I remember being young and um, thinking, you know, I'm glad we don't live in the days of old when women were raped. And, and I'm finding out that my age, people in their 60s and 70s, uh, a lot of them now are telling me, you know, when I was 16, when I was 12, my uncle or my my so and so raped me or my brother raped me, and I'm I'm like I know I know about eight people that told me I was raped by somebody in my family. They're okay. my age, and when I was young back then, I had no idea that that was occurring. Right. I thought rape was something that just happened to other yeah, people. It wasn't talked about. Right. When it did happen. And and. And now I'm learning, uh, and a lot of people are carrying that through in their life now. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, wow, <laughs> that's that is crazy. I didn't know that. So, yeah, you know, it's just we've got to do something, though. Uh, their their te- technology changes are creating Frankenstein's, you know. Mm-hmm. I call my music, uh, my my meeting with Frankie, Frankie Zelazny. Uh-huh. I call it Doctor Frankenbill. Okay. As a out, out of respect to Doctor Frankenstein, uh-huh. who was created, who created something that eventually killed him. Right. The monster, his own monster, his own creation killed him. And that's there's an element of that in society. You know, we've created the atomic bomb. You know, we've created. Streaming porn. Mm-hmm. We've now. How do we deal with it? You know. So, you know, we gotta we gotta figure out how we can live with each other. Now we've got as herd animals. We've created weapons that can kill us at incredibly fast rates. We can kill yeah. our neighbors. You know, hundred round machine pistols and uh, you know. Uh, Bombs that uh, just go on forever, and mm-hmm. nuclear uh, weapons that emit radiation that just kills all living things and leaves the machines behind. You know, uh, fuck. We keep coming up with new ways to kill each other. Yeah, but we don't come up with new ways to keep each other alive. Well, medicine's supposed to do that, but you know, and thought thought patterns. We, <laughs> Hopefully we can, our thought patterns will do that too. You know, we got to keep positive. But boy, oh boy, there's just a whole lot of negative out there too. We've got to overcome the negative. We're all going through this world uh, looking at what's going on. And and it's it's the phenomenon I call the streaker phenomenon. If you're in like a room with 20 people and suddenly the light went out and the light went on again and somebody ran through the room to a, one, from one door to another mm-hmm. and then you sit there 
and you'd say, then they hand out a piece of paper and say, that person that just ran through the room, describe them. What kind of, what color was their hair? How tall were they? How, what was their weight? You know? Uh, what color shoes do they have on? Well, you know, all the details. You saw them for three seconds as they ran through the room. What do you remember? No one person is going to give a full description. But the whole room, when you combine all the descriptions, you're going to get a lot closer to the actual description. You know, when you combine all of the vantage points, the viewpoints of, of all the 20 people. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying for us is when we compare uh, what's going on in this world, when you combine the, the effects of all of us together, you're going to get much closer to the truth of, of the observation than you will from a, just my observation and your observation. Hmm. They kind of blend into one solid truth. So we got to look at the group experience hmm. to figure out what the fuck is going on with this world. <laughs> I think that's a very good point to land on. Okay. And we'll we call got, it a day. <laughs> yeah, no, we got we got a good amount of stuff. Or we can call it a midday for that yeah. matter. Yes. Um, oh! but, um, but, yeah, thank you for doing this, Bill. I thank appreciate you, it. Definitely, pal. Alright folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Planet Shivers Podcast. 
and a big thank you to Bill Madej for coming on the show. You can find this episode and a whole lot more episodes on all major podcast platforms. What does that mean? That means Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Podify, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Plus YouTube, you can find the podcast with video. However you want to find it, it's there for you to check out. This was a great episode. Bill and I covered a lot of ground. Hopefully we'll be able to get Bill back on again. In the meantime, a lot of great guests coming up and a lot of news on what I've been up to. So don't miss the next couple episodes. I'm going to be changing my methods a little bit, doing some experimenting. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to share it with you all. Until the next time, take care of yourself and take care of somebody else.